in the words of Omowali Malcolm X, to educate a man is to educate an individual. To educate a woman is to educate and liberate a nation. In celebration of International Women's Day, African Queens, a 10-part series honoring our ancestors through their shared stories, empowering and educating through history. We celebrate the lives of these powerful sheroes, including Nani of the Maroons, Kandaki, Mbuyo Nahanda, Ya Esantiwa, Queen Nandi, Empress Menen, and many more. African Queens. Welcome to African Queens. In this episode, we hear from Christelle Pellicure and Dr. Sean Sobers from Rosanna Africa, a community project celebrating African queens and sheroes that inspired this series. They discuss the importance of celebrating our true history by educating, empowering and inspiring. Yes, I'm Christelle Pellicure and I am the, the founder and the creative director at Rosanna Africa. My name is Dr. Sean Sobers. I'm a board member of Rosanna Africa and I'm an associate professor at the University of the West of England. And I teach into photography, filmmaking, and a lot of my work's around history and the relationship with creative practice. We are celebrating African queens because for me, it's really important to, to remember those women who came before us and to not forget some of the history of importance they contributed to the history of Africa, but also how they've inspired people today. So that celebrating them is really important. Rosanna Africa is a community organization that I set up alongside the other two directors, Marianne Gourney and Sean Sobers. And it is really to carry on the work that I originally set up around African Queen exhibition. I think there's so much work to be done to to take it to more people, to take it to schools, to take it to the community and work with community women to explore the stories. So it was important for me to, to expand it. And so that's the main reason we kind of set up the, the organization there's so many different ways that history can be celebrated and even as an academic that we get locked into that thing of giving talks and giving lectures but when you add creativity and arts into the mix I think magnificent things can happen. The African history expands really really long periods and for me it was really just exploring another positive side of that history before the colonialism and the queens and the king was really fitting into that perspective of positive image of African history. But also I think for me at the time when I started the project, my background was I was a freelance makeup artist, so I was doing a lot of work in fashion. So I did bring my skills and my expertise from design, fashion and makeup into the project by working with local women and dressing them up into African attire, doing their makeup and working with photographers locally. So it was bringing really the side of the culture and history, but also my side of my career expertise, I suppose, my professional side together. So the, that's how really the exhibition started. It's interesting with the language because I used to call what I did exploring untold history and that's a label that gets put on me a lot and I resist that now. I actually talk about that it's actually about unheard history rather than untold history. The documentation's out there of the history that we're talking about. So we're not the ones that have discovered 
these African queens. What we're doing is building on research and documentation that's come before. But what's happened is there's been a lack of investment or attention on those histories. So they just become reburied. So what we're doing in projects like African Queens is about bringing them back to the surface, but they're not untold. It's about where there's been a lack of attention, a lack of will, a lack of investment, and a lack of actually awareness to say people are interested in these histories. What happens a lot with African histories and narratives relating to black community and black culture, there can be assumption by whether it's fundraisers or publishers or researchers or whichever gatekeepers, that there's not going to be an audience for it, that there's marginalised audiences, it's not universal enough. Whereas when I watch, for example, Goodfellas by Martin Scorsese, I don't have to be Italian to appreciate that. I don't have to be in the mafia to appreciate that. We just read them as universal stories which anyone can relate to. But when there's all of a sudden black bodies and black skin in relation to that, it becomes niche, it becomes, there's not going to be an audience for it. So there really is this perception that these type of stories that people aren't going to be interested unless they're African themselves or unless they've got that niche thing. So this is why they get labelled as untold stories, because there's a lack of attention and will to bring them to the mainstream audiences and they fall back under the, the radar and they then become what seems to be hidden. There's so many queens out there, and I only focused on 18 in the exhibition. So I've tried to, to do a mix of some of the queens that people might know already, but also queens that people don't specifically know as a wider audience. Like Sean's mentioned earlier, it's not because the story hasn't been told, you know, it's because we don't know about it, we haven't done research ourselves. So for me, it was really bringing as many names of queens to the front and making them aware of the, their existence and for people to go and find out a little bit more about those queens. I think I've chosen the eight. There was some relevance. There was something when I read their story that was resonating with me. So, for example, one of the queens, is, I always portrays the Queen Lorena Valona from Madagascar because I am from Madagascar and her story really resonated with me. So with Queen Lorena Valona, so she was the last queen of Madagascar and she got exiled into Algiers at the end of her reign by the French colonizer because they were too afraid that she was going to create too much problem for them when they started colonizing the country. So they removed her from the country. But the part of me really resonate with her is being this idea of displacement, being in exile. Having left Madagascar when I was 10 and being living in the West since I was 10, and that idea that you are far away from your own country, the displacement and all the identity crisis that come with that idea of not being in your own country. I mean, she became queen, she was only 22. So there's also that burden of a young age of taking so much responsibility. Another one of the queens that are really related, it was Queen Nandi, and that's part of how she became a, a single mother. And I think 
many women who resonate with that story, having to raise a child by yourself, having criticism from even your own people because you got pregnant and somehow you end up by yourself. So that's kind of, as a single mother raising a daughter, I resonated with her story uh, in many ways. And what's us as women sometimes have to go through in society to explain why our situation is the way it is. And you still have to take care of our child, but also having to do all the other duty we're supposed to be doing. I think she's a great role model for many women today in that sense. One of the queens represented in the exhibition is Nanny of the Maroons. Nanny of the Maroons is a really important female leader in Jamaica. She was the leader of a group of enslaved Africans called the Maroons, and they had their own area. They're very organized and very powerful. And Nanny of the Maroons just, was just a very inspirational leader in her own community and also in the rest of Jamaica. And she is portrayed by Asha Craig, Councillor Asha Craig, who's the deputy mayor of Bristol. So having that connection between who modelled Nanny of the Maroons, being the first elected Rastafari councillor in Europe, it was just a really powerful role model, as well as the individual that she portrayed. Another queen represented in the exhibition is Queen Scotia, and she's represented by councillor Cleo Lake, the Green Party councillor. And again, it's got that similar thing. Cleo Lake herself has got Jamaican heritage as well as Scottish heritage. And not a lot of people know that narrative and that story of this African queen who was heading up areas of what we now know as Scotland and, you know, really interesting connections there. And a third empress that is represented in the exhibition is quite a new addition to the exhibition is Empress Menin Assel from Ethiopia. She was Haile Selassie's wife and she's portrayed by Pauline Swaby, who's the manager now of the Bath Ethnic Minority Senior Citizens Association, which is based at Fairfield House, which is where Emperor Haile Selassie and Empress Menin lived. And the significant thing I think about Empress Menin is that often the conversation is around Haile Selassie and he's the name that people know. But not many people know that Empress Menin herself was an individual of significance. She herself is descended from the Prophet Muhammad. So she comes from a, a really powerful lineage and she did lots in her life for charity, for the advancements of women in Ethiopia, which at that time was becoming modernised. So the exhibition really does bring different stories to light in relation to the African queens themselves, as well as the women who are portraying them in a modern day context. When you look at the, the history of Africa in pre-colonial times, the women play as important roles as the men do in those societies. But then as time's gone through with colonialism, then different, you know, I'm not saying there were never differences, but the hierarchies weren't as pronounced as it's kind of made out to be in contemporary times. So I think it's really important. And there has been now conversations with Christelle about the African kings. And lots of people have been coming up to Christelle saying, where's the African kings? Where's the men? And, you know, I always say to Christelle, even as a man, I'm like, African kings have had their day. Now is the time to celebrate African women. So for me, whenever I hear someone say, where are the men? That's to me, I'm hearing like all lives matter. You know what? The women have been marginalised long enough. Allow the women their space. 
African identity and African history is not defined by the transatlantic slave trade. Meanwhile, you're dancing to this music. Muta Baruka, who's a Jamaican dub poet and philosopher, he says that transatlantic slavery is not African history. Watch out! The revolution occurred. It interrupted African history, that interrupted African present and future. And even my myself, I've said, even as someone who's explored and researched a lot about transatlantic history, that I also know that there's other aspects of history and narratives that I also want to talk about. But at the same time, I'm not going to ignore slavery because it's too big to ignore and it's also too important to ignore. But the fact is we're not defined by it. Not all of our historical figures in, in African history are even connected with slavery. Do you know what I mean? So it is just understanding that it's a huge part of history, but there are other histories as well that do need to be told and explored and published and celebrated. Reparations is an interesting one because it is directly about that legacy of the transatlantic slave trade and the impact that it continues to have today on descendants of those enslaved Africans, as well as countries that were involved. So we can't separate reparations from transatlantic slave trade, but also when we look at decolonizing the curriculum and those kind of initiatives, it is also saying that absolutely, that there are other narratives, that every narrative in relation to African and black people isn't about them being victims. If we look at Malcolm X, look at Martin Luther King, look at Nelson Mandela, Nanny of the Maroons, the narratives are based on struggle and survival. And that is also something to be inspired about. But rather than being ashamed by it, so rather than looking at enslaved Africans and being embarrassed or ashamed, that's just saying, you know what, these people are incredibly strong, incredibly resilient, and they had qualities that we can learn from today. When you have nothing, you can still achieve and survive. So there are different ways of telling those stories, and it doesn't have to be about victimization and shame and embarrassment. The series that we're talking about now, that it is inspired by the work of Christelle and the groundwork that she laid four or five years ago, etc. So it's really great to be in a position now to take that to other climbs with Christelle's vision and working in collaboration, I think is, yeah. So I'm just really honoured to be a part of that journey. You know, we want to work a lot with the young girl generation in the community, but also the women in the community, the men in the community, because as Sean mentioned earlier, the kings will have their time too. Uh, so we will be hoping to work with different generation of people for the community. And I am more than excited. I think one of the vision that uh, we have is really to take some of the younger generation to some educational trip in Africa to the land where some of these queens and kings come from. So I hope one day we can achieve that. So just watch out what's coming up in the future. <laughs> African Queens is produced by Sound Women Southwest Network in collaboration with Rosanna Africa and supported by the Audio Content Fund.